This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome, fellow investors, to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, November 18th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And a lot of big news over the weekend, especially over in Hong Kong. And we're going to discuss that. But we're going to discuss every variable at play that we find important on today's show that we could we can flesh out. And we want to flesh out your ideas, your thoughts, your concerns as well. So I thank you for joining me today. I'm Justin Klein. I hope you will call me with your investing questions and when you do make that call, we can shape this show to your particular advantage. And we operate each and every weekday on Invest Talk with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So this is not CNBC. Once again, I am not Kramer. I do not have bells and whistles. I'm here to try to give you a balanced view of whatever you're looking at, whatever thought process you're thinking through, I want to give you the pros and the cons because that's how you always need to think. There's pros and cons to everything, every idea, every investment, every asset class, and we can talk about all of that on today's show. Once again, the number is 888-99-CHART. You can call live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, or you can call after hours, leave a message, and we will answer it on a future show. Now, in case you haven't heard, Steve Peasley returning to San Jose on December 5th, a few weeks from now. That'll be a Thursday. He's taking appointments now. There are no-cost portfolio review consultations. You can learn more and register at investtalk.com. Now, my main talking point concerns the story. The stock market's 10-and-a-half-year bull run has become the best bull market ever, and we're going to compare it to some previous bull markets and whether talk about whether that can continue and what has fueled it and what may fuel it going forward. Now, some other interesting things to talk about as well. Number one on my list is Hong Kong and just China in general. And I think this is the beginning. There was a, a big article in the, I think the New York Times over the weekend uh, about some ethnic cleansing on the western northwestern region of China and kind of some of the problems, both socially mainly and economically, that are bothering China. And I think this is the start of a much broader political and economic backlash on the country of China that I think is going to change the global trading landscape, the global economic landscape, and even the defense landscape. I'm talking about military defense over the next five, ten years or so. And I think the United States is just starting to wake up to the problems, both, like I said, economically and politically over there. And Hong Kong is front and center. It's for all the world to see, and it's the epicenter of what I see as uh, China running into major, major political problems. Uh, So I want to touch on that going forward. Next, also I want to talk on your kids, college kids attending different universities and studies are starting to show that it's not which university they attend, but what major they choose. That's far more important 
than the actual university that they go to, and that's becoming more and more of the biggest factor as opposed to just you know that brand name. And then if we have time, I want to touch on the renewable energy market and where the energy market in the United States is really going in the near future. You know, we obviously have oil, natural gas, coal, wind, solar, etc. And I want to break down all of those as well. So hopefully I have time for that too. But I want to hear from you ultimately, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show, and I urge you to call in sooner rather than later. Today we had a, a very flat day. Some of the indexes were down a little, some of them were up a little. The NYSE, which is one of the probably the broadest index you can find, one of them anyway, that was down uh, nine points, so less than one tenth of one percent. So a very, very modest down day overall in the overall markets. What we've seen recently or this year uh, a lot is after option X week, which was actually in this week, month, it was last Friday, you started to see a, a, some sort of a pullback in the market. I could easily see that uh, retest of those breakout highs that we, we broke a, a week or two ago. And I think that'll be the major test of whether this is actually a real breakout or not. Odds are it does hold based on certain backdrops, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, and that's kind of where I see the, the market today. We're kind of past the earnings and we're going to see what this new pullback will will bring us. Will it be more protracted or just a minor one going forward? And then we get kind of that bullish last part of the year that typically is you know, through the holidays. December tends to be bullish. But as we all know, last December was not bullish. So, you know, it's never a guarantee. Let's go to Kent in Texas looking at Exxon Mobil. Yeah. I want to ask you a question about just in general. They're they're a dividend aristocrat with 37 years of paying dividends. But when you look at their payout ratio, their earnings are about half what they were last year. And their payout ratio is way over 100, at least in my numbers. How do you you look at a company like that? I, I know they're a gigantic $300 billion company nearly. And can probably afford the dividend even with that. But how do you handle companies with that high payout ratios and are aristocrat dividend aristocrats? Well, it always depends on the industry. You know, oil and energy tends to be a very volatile marketplace. Right? You have good years, oil's up to seventy, eighty, ninety dollars a barrel, and companies like Exxon and Chevron do much better. What's dragging Exxon down now is their, their, their increased exposure to the natural gas market. And they bought XTO Energy some years ago, and that was a big acquisition for them. Uh, but that's been a relatively poor acquisition and has, has brought down their numbers because of the depressed natural gas market, uh, because of uh, you know the prevalence of fracking and how easy uh, and su- the supply of natural gas continues to go up. And that's really brought, brought down their uh, their margins and their and their earnings. Now, I also look at their balance sheet as well. How strong is the balance sheet? If a company is over levered and their business is very volatile, then they can't continue to add more debt on their balance sheet to support that dividend. And when I look at ExxonMobil, they have roughly 45 45 to 50 billion dollars in long-term debt on their balance sheet in a market cap of about a little under 300 billion. So they're not levered up that much. They certainly could add more debt if they want to, and that's likely what they're they're going to do uh, and keep that dividend probably stable. It's probably not going to drop, 
right? It's probably, they're probably not going to cut their dividend because that would be a really bad sign. But what I often see with these type of companies is they just keep the dividend flat, whereas they typically raise dividends year over year. And now I, I would imagine they're going to slow that down, maybe pause it until their business is, is, is a little more solid. You know, their debt has gone up from about $37 billion back at the end of 2018. Now they're at $47 billion. So they added about $10 billion in debt just this year on their balance sheet. And clearly that's not sustainable if you're adding $10 billion every single year. But they're, they can sustain it for a little while. Um, so... You know, if I'm looking at that sector, I rather own like a Chevron. I, I had a caller last uh, last week about that Chevron or Exxon, and I said Chevron because of that XTO uh, energy problem and, and their exposure to natural gas, and that's why I would I would err on on, on the safer side, a company that's a little more uh, levered to or a little more exposed to oil versus natural gas. But I don't think Exxon's going to cut their dividend or anything like that. They'll just kind of manage that dividend growth, which will probably now stagnate until they get their business back on track and rebalance their their, their diversification of their their earnings. So that's the way I would think about it. Don't be too afraid about being cut, but don't expect any increases anytime soon. Thanks for the call, Kent. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and no one has ever been able to reliably predict near-term market movements, but if you want to achieve your version of financial freedom, you have to be prepared for the market volatility. That's why you need to make sure your portfolio is strategically balanced for your goals. Some need to be more aggressive, some need to be more conservative. Depends on where you're at and what your goals are. Now you can tune in or you can contact myself or Steve to set up an appointment for portfolio reviews, either over the phone or sit down one-on-one sessions. These are free consultations and you can register now at investtalk.com. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. Because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to John in Santa Cruz. He's looking at, I believe, a Russian company, a, a nickel producer. Is that correct? Yes, the largest nickel producer in the world. Yes. Um, okay. But I'm having this a hard is time nor nickel evaluating like, it. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a Russian company, if, am I uh, correct? I should, yeah. Russian company, yes. Okay, go for it. So I guess there's country risk. Definitely country risk, especially with uh, what I kind of talked about earlier with uh, geopolitical problems in China and Russia is probably their closest large uh, ally that has the most economic power in the world. You know, and how uh, potential disruption globally between the United States and, and China uh, will affect the likes of, of Russia will be uh, very interesting as well. Uh, but this is a name that has done fairly well since 2016, going from a low of, what's that, $15, $12? Yeah, about $12, $13. Now we're at $27 a share. Largest nickel producer. What do you like about it besides that it's just the largest? Um, well, it has a great dividend, but I don't know if it's sustainable. And um, it, 
uh, very highly um, thought of by a resource uh, person that I know very well that's very famous, but I won't mention his name. But I haven't bought okay. it yet. I was just thinking of buying a small position, and I'm not sure yet. So that's, I wanted your opinion about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, that 9.5% dividend is fairly... I wouldn't say fairly safe, but its payout ratio is about 80%. So it's certainly on the high end of that payout ratio. And its profitability metrics, return equity, 100%, return assets, 22%, very, very strong. Let me look at how volatile that is. Is that consistent or is that something that kind of jumps around a little bit? Yeah, I mean, this was up in these levels back in 2010, 11, and then it dropped to 4% on the return on assets, excuse me, and now we're back up to about 22%. So it's a little bit all over the place, but certainly on an upward trajectory, which I like that. Technically, it's very strong. Starting a little bit of pullback here after it was definitely overbought, uh, but if this gets back in from a technical perspective, back into the 23, 24 range, it's absolutely near some uh, near some support, but you certainly have a lot of country risk here, uh, and you know, if commodities get back off the ground, which they've been pretty depressed for a long time, and you're starting to see some some tailwinds here uh, with you know a weaker dollar overall. That's something that would be helpful for the space uh, in general. But nickel demand is certainly cyclical in a, in a lot of ways, and you have to worry about that as well. So definitely high risk. Definitely cheap, definitely strong technically. Uh, so a small position I don't hate, but I would certainly have you know, 10, 12% trailing stop on this just in case you get some sort of major political disruption, a decline in the ruble, you know, which I would imagine uh, would, would hurt their, their, their business. A lot of their businesses in Asia and, and Europe, so certainly weak markets uh, overall economically. So they don't have a lot of exposure to the United States, which is kind of good, uh, but... You know, there's certainly a lot of risks, so be careful with it. Don't make sure it's not more than three percent of your overall portfolio. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we present this program with five new shows each week, Monday through Friday, and it's broadcast and streamed live in the four o'clock Pacific time hour on InvestTalk.com. Hope you tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk, and whenever you have an investment question, I encourage you to contact me at the KPP Financial Office or Explora Podcast Library. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Steve Peasley is returning to San Jose on December 5th. Steve's evaluations are offered at no cost and with no obligation. Learn more and register now at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Let's look at some key benchmarks today. The 10-year was down to about 1.5... Sorry, the 2-year was down to 1.59%. The 10-year was down to about 1.81% at the close today. I think this is a pretty interesting market to look at, the treasury market, because clearly starting late last year, we had rates drop dramatically. And what that was telling you was that the economy was set to slow dramatically, and we certainly saw that. And what you've seen recently is optimism 
around maybe a reaccelerating economy, even though the Atlanta Fed GDP model has a 0.3% GDP growth for the fourth quarter so far. So that's not really showing up there, but that's what the rally in the treasury market is kind of saying. And if this rolls back over, meaning the rates roll back over, we st- we go see 1.5% on the 10-year again, I think that's a clear indication that the bond market is worried of a continuation of the slowdown and going into recession. But if we break above the kind of 2% mark on the 10-year, then I see it's a clear indication that, hey, what the Fed has done, this mid-cycle adjustment is enough to get the economy moving higher again, moving forward, moving into sustainable growth, right? Which would allow the Fed to pause longer and maintain the Fed funds rate and their liquidity measures at the current pace, right? So we're kind of in the middle right now, like I said, 1.81% or so on the 10-year. If we get above two, that's very bullish for the overall economy, overall equity markets. If we get back, you know, one six, one five on the ten year, I think that's a clear indication that this recent rally in treasury rates was just a counter trend rally, and you've seen that often. You know, in 08, you saw that in after Bear Stearns. Remember Bear Stearns in 07 and the bailout there, or the the purchase by Bank of America and kind of the bailout of Bear Stearns, and everything. Things were fine, and treasury rates rallied throughout the summer and then rolled back over in the fall. And that was, once again, an indication that the economy was kind of in trouble. And you saw the equity markets peak in late 07, and obviously we saw the recession in 08. So if you look back in history, you often see this, a counter-trend rally, when the Fed kind of addresses the slowdown in the economy with some sort of action. And then the big question is, is that action strong enough? Have they taken the proper measures? And it's a very important market to, to really follow. Gold was up a little bit, 14.70 an ounce continues to be in that consolidation phase. If we do continue to roll over on the 10-year, you're likely to see gold break out once again. Bitcoin's about 8,200 per coin. Oil was about steady, $57 a barrel. Let's go to Noel in Napa, and he wants to talk about silver. Yeah, hi, Justin. Um, yeah, I just I want to get more defensive. I just... Uh... Last week sold a big position, so I got a big chunk of cash, and I, I was uh, thought I'd put it into SLV. Yeah, I'm kind of familiar with it, uh, but I would just uh, thought I'd get your opinion about uh, the entry point, a good price to enter well, the entry uh, SLV at. Yeah, to me, it's it's near the low end of that the range that I thought it would pull back to. Uh, which is one that that breakout mm-hmm. zone. I, I look at SLV, yeah, like like you said, around that sixteen dollars uh, per share. It's which is also now the hundred week moving or two hundred week moving average. Also some support. So a lot of support in this in this area. Uh, it's certainly the the more conservative play. Uh, do you have gold exposure or or not? Uh, no, I don't have any gold. Okay. Well, I would say I would I, I would I could, default uh, to gold. I could. 
Yeah, I mean, I would if I'm picking between gold and silver, I'm definitely picking gold. Not that silver can't do well, and silver isn't a you know is a bad place to be. If I'm picking one or the other, and I'm looking to start my precious metals exposure, I would certainly go with a, a GLD first or a gold miner that's focused on mining gold first. And you know, then you can start diversify into SLV. But I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of gold at this time than I am SLV, simply because of the somewhat economic sensitivity that silver has, where gold less so, and is more about the the safety trade and more of a ba- more, acts more like a base metal historically than silver is. Uh, so if I'm picking one or the other, I would go with GLD over SLV. But I think both are at good buy points. Thanks for the call, Noel. That was SLV, which is the iShares Silver Trust ETF. Thanks for the call. 888.99 chart, 888.992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on the show. Now, in the next Invest Talk, the digital money revolution is happening. Big tech is the banks and payment companies want to become your gateway to payments. And Steve will cover that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions at 888.99 chart. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And this philosophy is why KPP Financial can be of great value to investors. KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to unbiased guidance. They don't upsell clients into expensive and questionable investments. Instead, Steve and Justin provide honest opinions and proven strategies based on the individual's current portfolio and risk tolerance. Working with KPP Financial, you can be assured of consistent dedication toward the goal of helping you achieve financial freedom. You can get things started with a phone call or a simple message through investtalk.com. Take the next step toward your financial freedom. Contact KPP Financial. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener, you may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Raitesh in San Jose looking at Gilead Sciences, correct? Yes. Okay, you looking to buy a hey, unit? Justin, yeah. Which one? You looking to buy it or own it? Which one? Uh, I'm looking to buy it uh, from like two years perspective and from five years perspective. Okay. Well, Gilead Sciences, $81 billion bio tech company developed therapeutics to treat viral, fungal, respiratory, and cardiovascular diseases. And their business has been struggling for some time now. In 2015, made $12.61, and then it had a high of $123 a share. And now we're at $64 a share, expected to make $7 a share this year, and only $6.95 
Next year, revenue up, revenue flat year over year last quarter, earnings down 5%. So their business certainly is struggling. I'm, I'm assuming that has to do with some sort of patent cliff. Have you looked at the trend and why that's happening? Uh, not really, actually. I was just looking into the chart, and the chart seems to be like, as you mentioned, it's just going down and down. Uh, yeah, it's certainly not in a great technical position. Yeah, on a daily chart, it's been going flat for most of 2019, kind of where it opened the year. So certainly underperformed the overall overall market, and below its 50-week moving average, under all the major longer-term weekly moving averages. So that's certainly uh, bearish, and I would worry about that. Uh, so not a fr- not not a big fan of the technical backdrop. Let's look at the fundamental backdrop, though. You have enterprise value to even of 12 and a half, which is Certainly not high, but certainly not low, uh, and a business that is, you know, declining, and its EBITDA looks to be declining. I worry about it. So long term, the profitability metrics are okay. Mm-hmm. You have return on assets four percent, return on equity twelve percent. That worries me, and it's twelve percent in declining. So until they can kind of turn their business around and show me that that deceleration or decline in its profitability. Uh, both on uh, a percentage metric as well as an EBITDA metric. You know, this had a 2015 had an EBITDA of 23 billion. Now we're at 6.7 mm-hmm. billion in trailing 12 months. Drastic, drastic oh. decline in that EBITDA. And I need to get to the bottom of why that's happening. And is that going to continue, or do they have some way to dig themselves out of this downtrend? And the technicals are not telling me so. Typically, when the when that's going to happen. The market starts to sniff it out, and you start to see buyers step in, and you see a reversal of trend. And I am not seeing that at all on the chart, as well as the fundamentals. So I am absolutely going to be passing on this until I can get to the bottom of why their EBITDA and profitability metrics continue to decline and find some hope of that turning around. And until then, I'm absolutely staying away from Gilead Sciences. Thanks for the call, Ritesh. Now, my main talking point today, the stock market's 10-year run has become the best bull market ever. And can it continue? From the bottom in 2009, you've seen about a 472% gain, which now beats the 49 to 56 bull run, which is about a 454% gain, you know, post kind of World War II. And... In the 90s, and everyone talks about the 90s being this great bull market, and it certainly was, but from, what was that, 95 to 2000, that was 391% gain in the overall market. And the big question is, what has driven it? Certainly a lot of fear from 08, 09, a lot of uh, money on the sidelines that can step in to support the market, but mainly what's happened is money from the Federal Reserve to step in and support liquidity. You know, three rounds of quantitative easing, and now we're on to the fourth. I know the Fed says this isn't QE, but it absolutely is. They're printing money to buy assets, just like they did in QE. It's just a different kind of mechanism, but in all intents and purposes, it's exactly the same same thing. And their goal was to boost stock prices and corporate bonds, and they've certainly been able to do that by injecting liquidity regularly. And then we have the Trump tax cuts, which has delivered corporate tax breaks as well as reduced regulations that promote 
activity through more aggressive spending, right? Government spending continues to skyrocket as well, especially in the defense space. And this is an explosive combination of both monetary as well as fiscal policy. And that's why you've seen this recent surge uh, in the market overall. Now, everyone talks about the trade war, and certainly that has dramatically, not dramatically, but at the margins, I believe, reduced economic activity globally. And you're seeing many emerging markets kind of slow down, like China, like India, etc. But what else is, what, what has also boosted this market is the poor growth and poor performance of other developed markets. You know, think of Asia, think of, you know, I'm thinking when I say Asia, Japan, for example, their slow economic growth, and mainly Europe, the largest economic block. And money is fungible. They've been printing money as well, and money can flow to kind of the strongest markets. And that's been us because of somewhat stronger political stability. I know everyone's going to say Trump and our problems. Certainly, there there's more political instability here in the United States than, you know, say, 10, 20 years ago. But in relation to the rest of the world, you're certainly seeing that strength. So I think the continuation of the bull mark rests on a, a few things. Continuation of relatively open trading with China and other areas of the world if Trump continues to ratchet up tariffs, that certainly will continue to reduce economic activity, economic optimism by corporations and hiring. You're already starting to see that a little bit. Unemployment kind of weakening here. Uh, and you're seeing more more layoffs, etc. So that's something to watch as well. And then can the Fed stave off a liquidity problem like we saw in September with their repo agreement, which looks like it's going to go through the month of uh, February, I believe. And will that QE be enough to maintain liquidity in the market? Uh, and I think we're we're kind of at that inflection point here over the next few months to see whether this breakout is for real or, and if the Fed has done enough or if we're going to you know maybe have another large leg in the bull market. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk, and as you make your investment choices, there, there's always a bit of fear, angry that creeps into your judgment process. So you need to understand your ability to handle risk and define your investment comfort zone. And we can help you do that anytime you are ready. We have a free online tool at InvestTalk.com. It's the Riskalyze Risk Questionnaire. You can check it out, and you can quickly calibrate your risk tolerance with your overall portfolio. And now I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Steve Peasley is making one more portfolio review consultation trip before year's end. If you live anywhere in Northern California, from Sacramento to Santa Cruz, from Napa to Novato, from Vacaville to San Rafael, or any place in between, you should make plans to sit down with Steve in San Jose on Thursday, December 5th. In an efficient and personalized consultation, Steve Peasley can help you optimize the asset allocation of your portfolio. Steve's evaluations are offered at no cost and with no obligation. So get your financial freedom objectives in shape for the coming year. Appointment availability for December 5th is limited. Learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Hey Steve, hey Justin. What are you guys look for in a company 
to invest in, like, uh, say, for example, Intel, what is the very first thing that you guys go to? Uh, what ratios do you analyze? Uh, book value, PE ratio, quick ratio, current ratio, all that good stuff. I guess most of us have that question. I look forward to the answer on the podcast. Thank you. All right. All great questions. Now, I can't speak for Steve and some of our other analysts uh, within our office because we all kind of have our, our favorite measures and a lot of it does depend on the type of business. Um, but I always look at the profitability metrics, return on assets, return on equity, return on invested capital. That's where I go first because I, I like and I like to see how consistent that is. Is it volatile up and down or is it consistently in the teens and 20s on return equity, return invested capital? Those are important measures for me because that helps me really understand the performance for the shareholders over time. And that's where I go first. And then I go into valuations and I don't just look at P ratio. I almost never look at a P ratio because I think it can be distorted on both sides, both the price and the earnings. You know, I look at things like enterprise value to EBITDA, which takes into account debt, also takes into account uh, you know other one-time uh, issues and depreciation schedules, etc. Right, and I, I really helps me get a clearer view of the profitability both today, and then I look at growth and consistency of that growth over the long term. Then if they have a dividend, what their payout ratio is, those things that I like to look at. And then cash operations, you know, companies can produce cash from financing, from investing, but most importantly is you want them producing that cash from in uh, operations, most of all, usually depending on the industry, but typically it's operations. And and then I look at the, the debt levels, whether they're over levered or not levered at all, they have any net cash in their balance sheet, things like that. So that's kind of where I start. There are obviously other ones as well, but I really want to understand kind of the, the long-term consistency, profitability, uh, and valuation of that business and whether it's underappreciated or maybe fully appreciated in the stock price. So all great questions. I hope that helped. Now I want to talk about Hong Kong and over the weekend, there was increasing violence in Hong Kong and you know, we had somebody be uh, shot by police last week. We had protesters shoot a police officer with a bow and arrow over the weekend. And you have hundreds of protesters that are now trapped inside the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. There were some big clashes on Sunday and they launched petrol bombs and, and they threatened, uh, p- police threatened to use live rounds on the protesters and it's really become somewhat of a civil war there in Hong Kong and I don't think this is going to take a turn for the better before it takes a turn for the worse. You know, the escalating violence continues on both sides, protesters as well as police who are both using weapons more and more each and every day and the game of cat and mouse between the police, the Chinese PLA, the, the People's Liberation Army, you know, they recently went out of their barracks for the first time, not to react to protesters, but to clean up after a protest. But I think this is the start of the PLA starting to become involved, not just 
the police in, the, in Hong Kong, but also Chinese military trying to crack down on dissidents and those that are really rising up against the authoritarian regime that China has, right? And, and China is trying to instill their, their laws, their practices, and their philosophy on the Hong Kong people, which tend to have more Western values, right? Their roots are uh, based in London and more British and more democratic. And they don't like the encroachment of an authoritarian regime. And so this is the start and it's the epicenter and you're starting to get more and more stories about the problems, not just in Hong Kong, but China in general. If you look at, I believe it was the New York Times today came out with an article about the ethnic cleansing that's happening in northwestern China that they're, they're housing millions of Muslims and they call them re-education camps, very similar to kind of what you saw in Nazi Germany with, uh, with the Jews back then. And... They're cracking down on them. You have organ harvesting that's happening there. You can schedule to get an organ in China because they basically force people to donate their organs to these people that come with enough money to get a new liver, a new kidney, a new heart, whatever that is. Uh, And it's really a barbarian kind of practice. And I think all of these problems that come with the authoritarian regime and communist regime regime of China are starting to have more light shed on them. And you're starting to see the downside of outsourcing our manufacturing to China for all these years and so much money being funneled into China and supporting this regime economically. And that's really what's what's keeping them in power, right? The the Chinese Communist Party They are in power because they basically have promised the Chinese people economic prosperity in exchange for authoritarianism, saying, we're going to make you wealthy and you just basically listen to what we say and, and, you know, don't make a fuss about it. So as long as, you know, the United States continues to funnel money, dollars into the United States by chasing returns and investment, then they're going to stay with the same policies, because right? they don't need to make a change. There's not going to be pressure on them. I think one of the first things that's going to happen here in the United States is there was a 2013 agreement between U.S. regulators and Chinese regulators that basically Chinese listed companies are not subject to the same auditing requirements that our domestic countries are required to have. And this has brought widespread fraud on the part of Chinese companies that are being listed here. And they're raising money from U.S individuals, U.S. funds, and dollars are being being funneled to, in a lot of times, very faulty or fraudulent companies in China. And I think that has to go. It's a no-brainer. And that will be the first shot across the bow. Now we're going to a break. Give me a call. I want to hear from you at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, the digital money revolution is happening. Big tech, the banks, and payment processors are all vying to become a gateway into the platform based economy. That story tomorrow. But now, Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888 99Chart. Oh, hi. I was wondering what your opinion on Coheris is, C H R S. 
The sales of their new Lastabiosimilar are really fantastic, and I thought the news that they're going to help a Swiss company put out and launch Lucentis Biosimilar is really fantastic as well. And with the Umera possibly coming out in 2023, it would seem that this company is really poised for long-term success. And they mentioned that there are many other companies that are interested in perhaps doing marketing deals with them. Really curious what you would think, uh, especially for the long term. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. All right, he's looking at Coherus Biosciences. Develops protein-based therapeutics for the treatment of various inflammatory and chronic conditions. And this was a name that lost a lot of money for a very long time. At least 2012 to 2018, they lost money every single year and a good amount. But the last three quarters, they started to bring in revenue. For years, they had no revenue. And the last three quarters, they've gone from $37.1 million in in the first quarter of the year to 83.4 in the second quarter and now 111.7 in the third quarter. So very, very strong growth near term. And the big question is, what is that trajectory going forward? What is the addressable market for their therapies? Is it to treat kind of rare conditions or more widespread? And that is something that I don't know. I don't know enough about the business, but if they're making part or they're they're building relationships and partnerships with larger drug companies to get distribution and, and get this uh, these therapies out out here and out to patients, then I could easily see this growth continuing to go. Uh, from a chart perspective, it has pulled back from a high of about twenty four dollars a share. Now we're at nineteen, but overall, on a weekly basis, on a on a daily basis. It looks relatively good. Its relative strength is 88%, so it's done better than the overall market over the last year or so. So that's a positive. And so I kind of like the idea. I kind of like this this name overall. It's not expensive, especially if they're going to make $2.59 next year, which are what analysts are expecting. It's trading $19 a share. So based on that earnings, based on the potential growth, I would really need to I, – I, I like it. And I, I would do more research on – what that potential is. I mean, talks and, and discussions, that's one thing, but really having strong partnerships is another. So that's definitely something I would look into, but I like the overall story, overall name, and overall trajectory of the business, which is important. All right, let's go talk quickly about college tuition and colleges in general. And we obviously have the college tuition scandal, scandal recently, and a lot of parents think that there's a lot of they put a lot of weight on the name of their on the names of the the colleges their kids go to, right? And they think that it's a silver bullet. But based on studies, it shows that it's not about which school your kids go to, but about what major they have. So a kid with a degree in cybersecurity, for example, is going to make about three times as much as those as those that who attended Harvard and had a liberal arts degree, you know, communications or history or literature. Because those skills are just not as applicable in today's world as cybersecurity. So it's skill set that matters most and not the name on the diploma. So if you're helping your kid or grandkid get into 
university, don't get too hung up on the name, right? They don't have to go to Harvard or USC or Stanford. You know, those are some names that have very low admission rates. Both schools have very high admission rates. And so it's more important to make sure that they are majoring in something that has usefulness in today's world. You know, probably a STEM discipline. That's going to be most important, not the name on that diploma. It's more about what skills they come out with, and that will lead to higher paying jobs as well as happier adults once they do graduate. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley returns tomorrow. I'll be back on Thursday. Remember that you can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, and be sure to rate, listen, and review. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.